What does it mean to care? At a very basic level, the idea of care concerns the provision of what is necessary for the health, welfare, maintenance, and the protection of someone or something. If we unpack this term, we come to see that it is about so much more. Care involves disparate geographies, ethics, actions, and encounters. It also concerns the subjectivities who we individually and collectively deem to be worthy of care. Depending on how we understand and practice care, it is clear that there are implications for us as individuals, for social groups, and for societies. My overall goal in this podcast is to interrogate more fully what we mean in terms of all the potential dimensions of care and caring. I'll first provide an overview of some of the basic ideas associated with the concepts of care and caring. I will then explore the other realms of care that I just alluded to a moment ago. As I delve into the concept of care and its meanings, I will of course emphasize the different ways in which these concepts interrelate with geography, in addition to medicine, health, healthcare, and well-being. I will also consider the ways in which these intersections are represented and engaged within academic and scholarly work. Before moving on, let's revisit the initial definition of care that I mentioned just at the beginning of the podcast. As I explained, care concerns the provision of what is necessary for the health, welfare, maintenance, and protection of someone or something. Let's focus specifically on health as part of care. The concept of health can be fairly subjective and abstract. If you were to ask a random set of individuals how they define health, you would have a wide range of explanations. To ground our exploration on care as an idea tied to health, I suggest that we rely on the World Health Organization, or WHO's, definition of health, a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. This particular definition of health is helpful as it goes beyond thinking of health in terms of illness or disease. The World Health Organization identifies that there are myriad factors that contribute to the overall well-being of an individual. While an individual can be free of the visible signs and symptoms of illness, they can still be unhealthy. If we rely on the WHO's concept of health for talking about care, it should follow that the ideas of care and caring should ensure a person is fully healthy in mind, body, safety, and community. While we all may hope to embrace the broad ethos or spirit of care presented in the textbook definition, few of us truly apply it to all circumstances and people. In truth, there is a limit to our personal ideas of care. This may be due to our values, norms, and our personal histories. Both individually and collectively, we see some people and issues as more worthy of care than others. In other words, we value the welfare, well-being, and protection of some individuals, groups, and social problems more than others. In other words, we value the welfare, well-being, and protection of some individuals, groups, and social problems more than others. Our selective attitudes about care is reflected in debates on numerous social concerns, including how to address homelessness in those who are unhoused, the rights of non-binary individuals, the funding of public education, marriage equality, immigration policy, addiction, and poverty. Our determination of who is worthy of care also has to do with our ability to empathize and sympathize. 
Empathy centers on our ability to understand and share the feelings that another feels. Sympathy pivots on the idea of feeling pity, sorrow, or compassion for another's misfortunes. As some identify, sympathy typically is a shared general feeling that allows us to feel compassion for another, even if we may not have had the same exact experiences. Consider when someone is experiencing grief from the loss of a close family member or friend. While you may have never lost a close family member or friend, you can imagine what that may feel like. In contrast, when we feel empathy for another, we are able to place ourselves in the circumstances of another and to identify with the feelings of another through some shared experience. Think of when another student tells you that they are experiencing anxiety or stress during finals week. While you may not be feeling stress or anxiety at precisely that moment, you know what it is like to experience those feelings in school. Researchers describe the process of stepping out of one's subjective perspectives and experiences and identifying with others as intersubjectivity. Intersubjectivity centers on how individuals and social groups interpret and make sense of the world around them through everyday interactions and engagements. Through these interactions, humans are generally able to share meaning with others. Research shows that our brains can sometimes work in a way that may actually prevent us from sympathizing or empathizing with others, especially those who are undergoing distressful or painful experiences. For example, studies on attitudes towards the homeless illustrate just how people can easily disconnect from others who are clearly in need of help. Researchers identify that the human brain can function in a way that allows people to psychologically distance themselves from homeless individuals or others in distress. This ability to disconnect is made easier when our minds allow us to effectively forget or overlook that a person who is suffering is another human being. Yet another way that people can disconnect from others who are experiencing hardship is through compassion fatigue, a phenomenon that describes when people become indifferent or withdraw as a result of continued exposure to situations we may find emotionally exhausting. As you know, from just turning on the news or surfing the web, it is impossible to avoid coming into contact with overwhelming information on a daily basis. There are numerous proposals from different sources for how to avoid compassion fatigue or overcoming the disconnect and lack of care that society feels towards disadvantaged individuals. One important recommendation for avoiding compassion fatigue is setting aside time for self-care, which many of us forget. One proposal to avoid feelings or disconnect towards others experiencing pain or suffering is to have direct and sustained interaction with those who need support, rather than pushing those individuals out of sight. Another proposal to counter a tendency to distance those in pain is to deliberately center social values and norms based in care and caring. These last two proposals are not mutually exclusive and both encompass what is referred to as, quote unquote, an ethics of care, which concerns social values and norms grounded in concern and compassion. When guided by the values and norms associated with care, there is a belief that society can better appreciate the circumstances, perspectives, and concerns of all. The hopes are, 
that through the frame of an ethics of care, people are better positioned to see the nuance of individual and group experiences and challenges. An ethics of care runs through much of the subdiscipline of health geography, especially in terms of the topics health geographers examine and their overall approach to carrying out research. An ethics of care asks that a researcher takes a relational and bottom-up approach. In other words, research comes out of engaging with a research participant with the goal of recognizing and coming to understand the ways in which individual choices and experiences are not isolated to one moment, but are instead linked to a personal story and life history. This appreciation of one's personal story and life history is often referred to as a life course approach. An ethics of care maintains that a researcher must aim to ensure the overall research process and its outcomes, such as a publication, are not about conveying the researcher's worldview, but are instead grounded in the experiences of research participants. Health geography has a long tradition of using an ethics of care in terms of the subjects and issues that geographers examine. This is exemplified in work focusing on women's health, disability, aging and the elderly, and the specific health concerns and experiences of LGBTQ individuals. Health geographers have also used a life course approach to evaluate their own personal health experiences and concerns including struggling with older family members in palliative care and how to balance health challenges in the context of an academic life. In addition, health geographers use an ethics of care to evaluate and understand individuals' experiences in formal and informal therapeutic landscapes. Even when relying on the arts and humanities to explore and examine certain concerns and issues that may not readily be understood through traditional methods such as interviews, focus groups, ethnographic approaches, or survey methods, health geographers employ an ethics of care. When researchers use arts or humanities-based approaches with research participants, such as drawing or writing, it is important to recognize that these approaches are not unto themselves neutral and inevitably will contribute to different kinds of experiences, including negative ones. Negative experiences include the possibility that participants may experience unexpected and strong emotions. An ethics of care emphasizes responsiveness, including how we anticipate these reactions and their consequences, as well as the ways in which we are attentive to participants. Sensitivity to participants asks that when researchers use arts and humanities approaches, they must also maintain awareness of potential reactions to research participants and their communities when researchers publish or share participants' work in public exhibits. Increasing visibility of underrepresented groups does not, by default, make prejudice towards these groups disappear. Instead, conspicuousness can sometimes work to strengthen entrenched biases. An ethics of care requires that researchers think through the consequences of presenting work. Central to this is attentiveness to whether sharing work can play a role in further oppressing vulnerable groups, or whether and how centering the experiences of marginalized groups may work to disrupt and dismantle systemic oppression. Beyond the topic of research and an ethics of care, what are some additional considerations that may be important to understanding care and caring? 
Let me briefly present a few more ideas. In the context of health and healthcare, I think about the concept of cultural humility. The idea of when a person is constantly engaged in self-reflection and seeks to learn about and from other cultures, instead of just centering their own background and experiences. Cultural humility is an idea that has replaced cultural competency in healthcare settings. Where cultural competency suggests you can become knowledgeable about another person's cultural background, cultural humility emphasizes an appreciation and respect of other cultures. In terms of care and caring, I also think about caring and listening to other people in an effort to appreciate rather than diminish people's experiences and truths. This last idea specifically brings up the idea of truth and reconciliation and efforts towards restorative justice to address harms perpetuated and to show compassion against those who are victims of state violence and crime. Care and caring is also about vulnerability and exposing ourselves by way of trusting others or through intimate engagements. Think about the times you may have wondered if a stranger you encountered was actually hurt or whether that person was just feigning or had negative intentions. Care and caring is most certainly about making connections that are happening less frequently due to a number of factors including our obligations and the technologies we rely on. Care and caring tends to be limited to certain places and spaces including healthcare settings and the home. Expressions of care in other settings, including in public, may seem inappropriate or awkward. And related to the geographies of where we expect care are the kinds of people and subjectivities that we consider appropriate as care providers. In terms of thinking about these ideas, I really could go on. The readings and other materials that I present this week will offer some additional ways of thinking about care and puzzling out what we mean and miss when we discuss these ideas. I hope this podcast and the additional materials will help you to consider more closely these concepts, their implications, and many other considerations.